1 Corinthians 7, beginning of verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. For he who who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. May the Lord bless his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again tonight for another opportunity to gather uh, together and worship you and uh, sing your praise. Lord, uh, uh, we acknowledge that you are great and mighty. Uh, You are the one and only true God. And Lord, we worship you. We exalt your name. And Lord, we desire for you to be exalted uh, among the nations. We desire for you to be exalted in our own lives and uh, that we might uh, exalt you before others that are in our circle of influence. So Lord, we pray that uh, tonight you would allow us to Again, understand your word, that your Holy Spirit might uh, be our teacher, that we might uh, fully grasp the uh, not only the, the teaching, but uh, the various applications of your word uh, for our lives. Help us to, uh, by your Holy Spirit, know how we need to apply these truths and, and to live them out before you. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, you would bless and that you would uh, uh Allow us uh, to do the things that count the most, that we would be pleasing in your sight. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. One of the most difficult things for me to deal with as a pastor many times is time management and priorities. It seems like every single day, almost, I get an email or I get some type of an appeal for me to get involved in some worthy cause or another. And uh, it it seems like it's just never-ending. I'm sure it's the same with you and uh, all kinds of organizations, Christian organizations, making appeals for believers to get involved in political action and various things like that, social uh, issues. Uh, I'm constantly being tested in the area of priorities. Pastors usually have a lot of demand on their time. That's kind of comes with the territory. But if I'm not careful, I find that I can 
abandon the hours that I need to study God's Word and spend those on other things. There are all kinds of temptations for preachers to replace the diligent study of Scripture that it takes to do expository preaching and replace those with all kinds of other things. Meetings, going to the hospital, getting involved in community activities and the like. Not necessarily bad things, but things that can replace the higher priority. One particular temptation for pastors is that of getting involved in the aspect of politics or social change. And so tonight we're going to ask the question, should Christians be spending their time trying to change society? And more importantly, should pastors abandon their calling to preach the word for the sake of political accomplishment? Now, this is a question I think we need to give serious consideration to because there are many pastors in our day and time who are leaving other priorities to engage in trying to make some sort of social change. And part of this, I think, is because we are in a culture war in our country. There's no doubt about that. It has become so clear that there are two sides that are diametrically opposed to one another. And so it's easy for pastors to say, well, I want to get on the right side and I want to um, make sure that I uh, am involved in that. Uh, I know a pastor in Oklahoma who basically neglected his church and the priority of proclaiming God's word to run for political office and to try to make some sort of political impact. Now, I personally believe that that man has forsaken his calling from God and has replaced it with other priorities. And, of course, we know that there are entire denominations that have left the priority of the genuine biblical gospel to pursue the social gospel. And those denominations have essentially lost the true gospel and have replaced it with things like soup kitchens and uh, clothing closets uh, as if that in itself is the gospel. And of course those kinds of ministries are good and are needed, but that can't be the highest priority for the church. We can't just stop with meeting physical needs. We must provide gospel medicine for the soul. Well, a lot has been written on this topic, as you can imagine, on, I'm sure, both sides. But what I am interested in is what God has to say about this. And I believe the Bible is clear on this subject, and the passage that we are examining tonight I think gives us divine guidance on it. And although this passage is really in the immediate context of marital status, as you've seen, we've been 
dealing with marriage and morality and these kind of things. It is rightfully broadened out to include other social institutions as well. And we read it a few minutes ago, but let's see if we can answer the question, what are Christians individually and collectively to do about wrongs or abuses in civil systems and social practices? And the reason I'm couching it this way is because people go to this passage and they get caught up with the issues of slavery and oppression and social issues related to that, and they many times, I think, miss Paul's main point. And so we need to go through it carefully. Please understand that 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 24, is not a full treatise on how we should deal with social issues. It doesn't give us everything we need to know about that. There are other passages that are pertinent in regard to that. But I think it plainly teaches the basic principle by which Christians should look at and respond to civil and social conditions in which various Christians live, not only here in the United States, but all around the world. As you know, God's Word is universal in scope. It doesn't just apply to our situation here in America. The basic principle is this. Christians should be willing to accept the situation into which God has placed them and to be content to serve Him in that situation. That's the basic principle that we see here. And this, by the way, is a principle that really goes against human nature because we in our flesh rebel against this, but it is nonetheless a clear principle for us that is given in God's Word. And just so that these Corinthian believers and we Corinthian believers don't miss the point, Paul states it no less than three times in this passage. Now, folks, anything anything that's given three times in the Bible is something we should pay attention to. It's something very, very important. So with that in mind, let's move into this now. There's only one principle in this passage, but it's given in three different ways. And so we see the the various ways it is communicated. First, it is stated as related to race or circumstance. Race or circumstance. Look with me again at verses 17 through 19. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And thus I direct in all the churches. Was any man called already circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. 
This is what many have referred to as the principle of contentment. The principle of contentment. And let me just start off to try to explain what this is. Let me just start off with what it is not. And the reason I'm doing this is because, uh, as I mentioned, some people get all caught up in the social issues of this passage uh, that they miss the point. And so we want to start off with these are some things Paul is not saying here. Number one, he is not referring to benevolence ministries. He's not referring to benevolence ministries. We do have the responsibility to feed the hungry, to help the afflicted, to care for widows and orphans, etc. And we see that responsibility given in Scripture. That is really, in many ways, simply a way in which the church demonstrates the love of Christ to the world. That, that just should just come naturally to us as Christians. That we want to help those who are downcast. That we want to uh, help those who are hungry or, or uh, uh, need clothing or, or whatever the need might be. That's just the love of Christ being demonstrated in and through his church. However, these are ministries that Christians are to do as Christians. They are not services that we are to persuade others in society to perform. These are not services that comprise political platforms that we're to rally the country and we're to try to change society and uh, we're to try to uh, change the world through uh, various social platforms. That's not what it's getting at here. These are ways of sharing the love of Christ with the world. And we should do that. And any time we get involved in any kind of benevolence ministry or any kind of uh, meeting of needs, we always need to keep in mind the priority of the gospel. It's not enough just to meet physical needs. We must also go on and proclaim the gospel and make sure we are helping deal with the needs of the soul. It's not enough. It's never enough just to meet physical needs. And this is where many denominations have gone off track. They have sold out the gospel for the sake of the social gospel. So we need to always remember Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. That's Luke 19.10. And we have to remember that Jesus made it clear that his kingdom is not of this world and by the way, let me just throw something in. It's not my notes here, but some of you watched Billy Graham's uh, memorial service this week, and you heard Franklin Graham, and you know that Franklin Graham is very involved in, you know, uh, Samaritan's Purse and meeting needs, but he also makes sure the gospel is always included. We always need to do that. That was one of the clearest, uh, I thought, presentations of the gospel. Uh, he just laid it out. So that's that we have to make sure that if we're going to do any kind of social ministry that we include the gospel. Now, Jesus also made it clear that his kingdom does not require social revolution. 
It's not about that. His, his kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is about changing hearts, changing individual lives. It is a, a revolution of the heart. It's a regeneration of the inner man that is his kingdom is about. So, you know, we always need to remember if you give a man a meal, he will be full temporarily. But if you give him the gospel... He will be saved forever. So how can we miss that highest priority? Now, someone might say, well, wait a minute. You know, preacher, are you saying that we shouldn't get involved in politics? So are are you saying that we're just supposed to sit back and let the humanists and the liberals and the communists just take over our society and not do anything about it? Are you saying that? No. You see, when it is faithfully followed, biblical Christianity cannot help but to have a radical effect on every person, institution, and practice around it. The gospel always impacts the world. But we must never forget that the primary purpose of the gospel is to change individual hearts. It's not to change policies. It's not to change institutions. It's to change individual hearts. It does have an impact on institutions. It does have an impact on society as a whole. And any time that there have been revivals in the history of our country other parts of the world, it's always made an impact in other ways. But the focus is always on inner change, never on outward revolution. Now, the basic principle here is that we should be content wherever God has placed us to accept the condition in which we find ourselves and to be faithful to him, no matter what our circumstances may be. It doesn't matter if they're good circumstances or bad circumstances. That's the principle. We're to be faithful to him, whatever our circumstances may be. That in no way negates the responsibility to minister in Jesus' name, motivated by the love of Christ, to meet people's needs. There's a second thing that Paul is not saying here. And that is, he is not encouraging believers to stay in occupations, professions, or habits that are immoral or illegal. You can't take the principle of contentment and apply it in those situations. The principle of contentment does not mean that people who are in these types of industries should stay there. No doubt there were some of the Corinthians who were involved in all kinds of pagan activities that were diametrically opposed to Christian values. Paul is not saying that if they were working at the pagan temple, for example, They should stay in that job. Of course, they should get out of that godless system in order to live a holy life for Christ. 
And in the same way today, this principle would apply to anyone who would be involved in anything like prostitution, dealing drugs, dishonest business practices. Anything sinful should be abandoned. The principle that Paul is talking about here has nothing at all to do with being content to stay in a sinful environment. That's number two. Thirdly, he's not saying we should be content with where we are in our spiritual growth or effectiveness in service. The principle of contentment does not apply to this. The Bible makes it clear we should never be content with where we are spiritually. We must always be pressing on with our spiritual advancement. Paul said, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 3, 13 and 14. And if Paul can say that, certainly we need to acknowledge that we have not arrived and we need to continue to grow. So the biblical principle of contentment has nothing at all to do with being content with where we are spiritually. We always need to maintain a willingness to grow and to train and to study that we might become more effective for Christ. So if none of these things is what Paul is saying here, then what is he saying? To understand what he is saying, we need to understand that there were several areas of discontent that were prevalent in the Corinthian assembly. First of all, there were some believers who were wanting to change their marital status. Some wanted to go from being single to being married. Some wanted to change from being married to being single again. Others wanted to go from an unbelieving spouse to a believing one. Then there were slaves who wanted to become free. In fact, some of them had misunderstood and abused the truth about Christian freedom that Paul had taught, taking it to mean that freedom really is the ability to do as they chose instead of the freedom to do as God desires. There were slaves who were rebelling against their bondage. They were trying to find spiritual justification for demanding their freedom from slavery. And remember, many of them had Christian masters. So many of them were putting pressure on them to release them. But the principle is that whatever situation you are in when you get saved, you should be content to serve Christ faithfully in that situation. And the truth of the matter is, Christians can be faithful as Christians in any environment, in slavery or in freedom, in a dictatorship or democracy, 
even under anarchy, Christians can still be faithful as Christians. We can be Christians whether we're male or female, child or adult, married or single, widowed or divorced, Jew or Gentile. And of course, God does not justify corrupt governments or immoral societies, and we know that they will be judged in God's way, in God's time. But the purpose of the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, is not to revolutionize social institutions, but to revolutionize hearts. The gospel is directed at the human heart, not at society. Now, how does this principle apply to us in a practical way? Well, we all know Christians who are discontent. We all know those, and we've heard, you know, people say things like, you know, if I could just get a different job, you know, then then I'd be faithful. Then I'd be on track. Or if I could just get a different spouse. Or if I had just been born in a different family, etc. Anytime we say something like this, it shows that we need to learn God's principle of contentment. Of course, that doesn't mean you can't look for a different job. But until the Lord provides you with one, make the most of where you are. Maybe you're in a a difficult job right now. And you'd rather have a job that's not quite so difficult. Well, ask the Lord to give you another job. But while you're waiting on him to provide another job, serve Christ faithfully in that difficult job. Some of the slaves in the first century eventually did gain their freedom. Paul would never say that was a bad thing. It was a good thing. But their being effective in living for Christ was not dependent on that. They could be just as effective for Christ as a slave as they could be in freedom. In fact, think about this. It is possible that you could be more effective for the Lord where you are than where you think you would like to be. It's possible you might be more effective where you are and sometimes hear ministerial students you know saying things like you know as soon as i get a church or as soon as i get on the mission field then i'm going to count for christ no count for christ where you are right now and then god will providentially put you where he wants you in due time in other words serve him faithfully where you are And in his providence, he may move you somewhere else. But until he does, bloom where you're planted. Serve him faithfully where you are. Notice the word assigned in verse 17. The place where he has put you is where he wants you. Live for him faithfully there. And notice that this is the universal principle. Paul said, and thus I direct in all the churches. This means this is a universal teaching for all Christians. 
And notice the word called in verse 17. This refers to a sovereign choice. I mean, look at verse 18. Was any man called already circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. The word called here points to the effectual call of God unto salvation. What is verse 18 saying? It's saying that when a Jew got saved back in the first century, he was not to become like a Gentile. Circumcision in that time had become kind of an embarrassment to the Jews. Uh, In fact, the book of Maccabees tells us that there were many Jews who were becoming uncircumcised by surgery. Maybe some of the Jewish Christians thought this was a good way to show their break with Judaism. But Paul's word to them was not to become something different than they were when they got saved. Now, Paul also turned this around the other way. I mean, look at the last part of verse 18. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Gentile Christians were not to become like Jews. Now, this might have been something that the Judaizers would have wanted, but this is not the message of the gospel. Paul said both of those changes are wrong. It is spiritually wrong because it adds an outward form to the gospel that the Lord does not require, and it has no spiritual merit or meaning. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised in regard to the gospel. It was practically wrong because it was unnecessarily separating believers from their families and friends, and it was making witnessing to them more difficult. So not only was it spiritually wrong, it was practically wrong. But go on to verse 19. He says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Obedience to the Lord is what counts. Not your situation, not your circumstances. Obedience to the Lord. And again, here's the principle. Wherever God has placed you, be a faithful Christian right there. Don't be discontent and insist on making a change that may not be the best. Do you remember the story of Esther? The Bible tells us that she ascended to the throne for such a time as this. She was providentially placed there for the purpose of delivering her people. And you know, the, you know the account. But in the same way, Christians, maybe God has put you in that job or that school or that family for such a time as this to make a difference in that place. So the question is, will you seek to count for Christ where he has placed you. But there's a second way that this principle is stated, and that is in relation to position in society. And we see this in verses 20 through 23, and I'm going to have to hurry here. But here Paul gives the illustration of slaves. Let's read that section again. 
And then I'll give some comments on it. Notice he says, let each man remain in that condition in which he was called. That's the general principle there. Again, the second time, restated. Go on to verse 21. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also, if you are able also become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Now, please understand here. Paul's point is not that he approves of slavery or to suggest that slavery is a good condition to live under or just as good as living under freedom. No, that's not his point. He's not, he's not giving social commentary here. His point is that if a person is a slave, he is still able to live the Christian life as a slave. He is every bit as able to obey and serve Christ in slavery as in freedom. In fact, no circumstance, no matter how terrible painful or unjust can keep us from becoming in every sense a Christian and living the Christian life. So Paul consistently taught this principle. Slaves were to serve their masters honestly and sincerely as unto the Lord. That's Colossians 3.23. Slaves had a unique opportunity to testify for the Lord. They were to show their human masters that they worked hard and honestly, not because they were forced to, but because they chose to out of love for and obedience to their true master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the point is that they could demonstrate true contentment and peace in the midst of their slavery, thus showing the inner provision of their salvation. Now, before we start getting the wrong idea here, let's note that in the Roman Empire in Paul's time, perhaps as much as 50% of the population were slaves. But unlike most slaves throughout history, the slaves of that day were often better educated, more skilled, and more literate and cultured than the average free person. A large percentage of the doctors, teachers, accountants, and other professionals were slaves. Many of them lived in relative ease and were treated with great respect. Others, of course, lived in poverty and humiliation because they had cruel and merciless owners. But it is significant that Paul made no distinction here. Any slave in any circumstance was to be willing to remain as he was. And only sin can keep us from obeying the Lord. Our circumstances cannot. Therefore, if we are in a difficult, uncomfortable, and restricting situation, we should not fret over it. The New American Standard says, don't worry about it. But we should determine to be faithful as long as the Lord leaves us there. Now, of course, if a slave had an opportunity to become free, as many slaves did in New Testament times, 
he should take advantage of that opportunity. But it was not a necessary condition of his faithful service to Christ. And Paul himself was a great example of living by this principle. He was content to be in jail and to be faithful to Christ as long as he was left there. In fact, some of his most productive writing was done from a jail cell. He carried out much of his ministry from a jail cell. But when he was freed, he didn't insist on staying there. He went out and left the prison behind. And so as verse 21 says, if you're able also to become free, rather do that. Look at verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. Even as a slave, a Christian is the Lord's freedman. He's free in Christ. In him we are freed from sin, from Satan, from judgment and condemnation, from hell, from the curse of the law. In other words, from the slavery that really matters, every Christian has already been delivered. Also, lest Christians who were physically free should gloat, thinking that they were somehow more favored by God than those who were not, or that their freedom meant license to do as they pleased, Paul reminds them that in the very same way, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. And I hope you understand, freedom in Christ is never licensed to do what we want. It is freedom to do what we ought. Look at verse 23. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Because we were bought with a price, the blood of Christ, our great concern, whether we are free or in bondage, should be that we do not allow ourselves to become in bondage to men. Now here, he's not talking about physical slavery, but spiritual slavery. He's speaking of becoming slaves to the ways of men, to the ways of the world, to the ways of the flesh. We must never become the slaves of men in the sense of living by their standards or seeking to please them or succumbing to the fear of men. So our responsibility is always to please God wherever we are. Well, I'm out of time. There's one last thing that he mentions here, and that is the principle restated one last time. I said he mentions it three times. This is the third time that he restates it. Look in verse 24. Brethren, let each man remain with God in that condition in which he was called. What's the message Conversion is not the signal for a person to leave his social status or to leave his marriage or to leave his singleness or to leave his human master or to try to change 
some circumstance in his life. Rather, it is the signal to begin living as a Christian in whatever situation God has placed him. What about you tonight? Are you content to count for Christ where you are? That's his desire for us. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you again for this rich passage of Scripture. We pray you'd help us to understand it and heed it. Uh, Lord, that uh, we would seek to uh, find the right kind of contentment in our lives. That we would uh, have that hard desire to count for you wherever you have placed us. Lord, if it's a difficult situation, perhaps it's a trying situation, help us to count for you there. Whatever our situation might be, whatever our circumstances might be, our family environment, our social environment, help us, Lord, to count for you in that place. And we ask that you would um, enable us to do that by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.